0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, Why Fossil Fuels Became Our Dominant Source of Energy. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today's August 18th, 2022. And I'm joined as usual by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews and by energy specialist and IPI board chairman, Wayne Stoltenberg. Uh, Wayne is the former chief financial officer of Vine Energy. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And we're going to talk today about why it's not just arbitrary that we have become dependent on fossil fuels, that we have built the world's largest and most predominant, most productive economy on fossil fuels for very sound reasons. And for that, I'll turn things over to Dr. Mayor Matthews.
1: Well, Tom, you know, uh, Wayne and I had an opinion piece in the Dallas Morning News recently sort of explaining this because you have this movement out there to try to turn the world over to renewables, and it's a real struggle to try to get us to renewable energy, and there's a reason for that. And part of that reason is fossil fuels came in and replaced what they were using in the 1700s, 1800s for energy, whether you were talking about uh, dung, uh, you know, whale oil, yeah. uh, wood, yeah, uh, wood, wood,
0: whale oil, dung, uh, peat. You know, th- these are the kinds of nasty things that <laughs> that we used to use. And
1: there are, there's a reason for that, and that's because fossil fuels contain certain elements, factors in them that make them the most predominant or the best use of energy. Isn't that right, Wayne? Yeah, I
2: mean, if you think about it, there are three things that fossil fuels possess. Three you know, kind of mutable characteristics that make them uh, really a superior energy source to anything else that we've got on large scale. You know, one they're naturally energy dense. Uh, there's just an awful lot of energy in a small amount of mass, whether it's coal, oil, or natural gas. Uh, you, secondly, it's easy to transport them, and, and that's, that's, that's pretty important. Um, they're also fairly abundant as well. And, th- and then lastly, you can store it. So you can get it's energy dense. It's easily transported, so you can get it where you want it, and you can store it and use it when you want to. And those three things are extremely important, and we just don't have that with wind and solar, which are obviously the two main renewables that a lot of folks talk about.
0: How do we measure uh, the density of fossil fuels, like whether it's a lump of coal or, or a unit of oil or something like that? How do we measure that energy density? Is that like in BTUs or something
2: like that? Uh, yeah, I, I tend to think about it in in, in terms of in terms of uh, million British thermal units, okay. MMBTU, yeah. and uh, you know that's that's you, know, you can convert that into barrels of oil, yeah. Are, you know, or but that's that's how you sure. think
1: about it, or or, okay. or a ton of coal. Yeah. But okay. One of the things we think about is ethanol because we've been using ethanol for a long time. But my understanding is ethanol, which is usually mostly corn based. Uh, A corn-based fuel is just not as energy-dense as traditional fossil fuels.
2: Well, it's not as energy-dense, one, and and then two, you have to look at, okay, how much energy does it take to produce it? (laughs) And there's an awful lot of energy used to produce ethanol as opposed to uh, just mineral extraction in the form of coal, natural gas, or oil. There's a whole lot less energy used. Mm.
0: Would ethanol be a thing if it weren't for government subsidies? I mean, is is it is it that sort of thing where it costs almost as much to produce it as you get out
2: of it? Well, if that, I think we have a really good answer to that. If that were the case, do you think the uh, pro ethanol lobby would be as large as it, as it is mm. and would need to fight as hard as it is to maintain? They're not really subsidies; it's it, their mandate. It's mandated right. usage. Right. Um, You know, if the market were willing to freely adopt it, why would they need all that?
0: Yeah, it's almost like uh, it's almost like Obamacare. You're legally required to buy our product. <laughs> you're legally required to buy the product of et- of ethanol farmers.
2: I, I, I doubt it would be anywhere nearly as widely used as it is if it weren't for the blending mandates that are there. Where your gasoline has to be X percentage of alcohol. Some folks, like myself, go out of their way to find and buy non-ethanol gas, which mm-hmm. you can buy if you're outside of large urban areas. And you get better, it costs more, but you get much better mileage with
1: it. Hmm. So uh, in our three points, ethanol is, uh, uh, ethanol is, has some energy, it's not as energy dense, but it is transportable and it could be stored, but it fails on the first point. Uh, when we come to renewables, your second point was that they're able to, you're able to transmit them from one place to other. I mean, they can be transferred and shipped easily, but that's really not the case with renewables. No, when you think about renewables, particularly, again, wind and solar generate
2: electricity. And electricity is, again, I've seen some data, you know, call it 20 to 30 percent of all the of, ener- of worldwide energy usage. And the other 70 to 80 uh, percent, you know, transportation, industrial heat uh, is not electricity. So, again, wind and solar generate electricity. And a lot of times where you've got wind or where you've got solar is not necessarily near a population center where you need to power a grid. So you got to transport it, and there is meaningful line loss in that, and you can't store it like you can natural gas, oil, or coal. Uh, you, there, you battery technology is just not. Uh, I mean, you can't store electricity in, in industrial scale, and battery technology is something folks ought to be working on, but it's probably not you know in, in over the near term horizon.
0: You you also made an interesting point there. You just sort of touched it obliquely, but I think it's interesting, and that is that. electricity is not the only thing we need. It absolutely isn't. For for
2: transportation, you need generally uh, a much denser uh, your form of energy, i.e. Your aviation fuel or jet fuel mm-hmm. or diesel fuel for, for an 18-wheeler or something
1: like that. Yeah. Explain what you mean when you say line loss because typically the wind farms and the solar farms are out in the country somewhere, but you've got to transport that to the city and that can be some distance, but you say you lose some of that in that transportation.
2: Yeah, when, when you're transporting electricity over long distances, uh, you, you, again, it's called line loss. So if you generate 100 units at the wind farm or solar farm, by the time you get it to the grid, you've got less than a hundred
0: units. And that's just, that's just physics. That's Mm -hmm. just, just the, you don't have a hundred percent efficiency in your transmission. Yeah,
2: you're generally not using anywhere near as much say natural gas uh, from a compress, you you compress natural gas to to move it along. You may well use natural gas to, to run a compressor to move oil in a pipeline. But again, the quote, line loss or energy you need to move it isn't anywhere near as large.
1: And on your third point about the ability to be able to store it, that strikes me as sort of the the real challenge going on right now, because you can you, you can have. You could produce all the renewable energy you want to, but it's only available right then when it's produced. It can't be stored. So if you have a, a winter where you have a lot of clouds, you're not going to get the solar. If you have a heat dome sitting over you, as we do in Texas a lot of times, you may have little or no wind for a while. So the the real challenge, it seems to me, to to be able to say we are able to re- move to renewables, which is what all the environmentalists want us to do is being able to store it. And we just don't have the battery technology right now to make that work. A- absolutely true. Uh,
2: again, you when you power the grid, whether you're running a gas plant or a nuclear plant or, or, or a windmill or a solar farm, that electricity goes right into the grid and is used immediately. There's just not the ability on large scale to have battery storage at what I you know call industrial scale. It just doesn't exist. The technology is not there. Now, if it were, that'd be great because you could run your wind farms at night and store it and, and use it when wind and solar aren't working. But again, uh, that's a battery technology issue. It's not, uh, adding more generation capacity is not going to fix that.
1: And, and they're trying to fit, they're trying to, <laughs> to the, trying to innovate with batteries. But I think we're still a long ways away from any commercial use of that.
2: Uh, I've got to believe that we are because if there were industrial scale storage of battery technology, that would fix one of the main problems with the unreliable nature of wind and solar.
0: We know that, um, We know that there are large scale battery storage projects being built, um, but you know that, that it, you, you also kind of feel like we're a ways away from the technological breakthroughs that we're going to need to really make that work. And I think, you know, as 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 folks who are big on innovation, I think actually that is one of the sort of exciting innovations that, you know, I, I expect to see during my lifetime is being able to use large-scale sta- large electrical storage like that just as a buffer for the grid, if nothing else. You know, it, it, I mean, I don't think of that primarily as, oh, goody, now that makes wind and solar work. I think of it primarily as just, uh making the grid more robust that you actually have some backup capacity well i think i
2: think that's a that's a good point it'd be great if we if we had it but it would certainly allow you uh, given that the marginal cost of wind and solar is pretty low mm. uh it it but it would allow you to use that uh, uh, again that electricity is generated when you don't need it and to store it for when you do if we had large scale battery storage available i think the the freeze that occurred in texas in the winter of 21 Uh, It would have been pretty helpful, but you're talking a couple hours, not Mm, days. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: Let alone weeks. Uh, And you know, when when we talk about uh, renewables and storage and all that sort of thing, even even a breakthrough in battery storage does not address your first point, which is the energy energy density point. You know, Uh, when you when you see solar farms, they take up an enormous amount of land. When you see wind farms, wind farms take up an enormous amount of land, and you know fossil fuels just don't require that that much use of land, you know, uh, because of their energy density. And so many times you see these solar farms, and I, and I and I think I hope that farm was put on a godforsaken piece of land because there's almost always going to be
2: some better use for land than just covering it up with solar cells. Yeah, I mean, when when you uh, when you think about it, wind and solar are naturally diffuse. They are. That's not going to change. Mm. And hence, you, you you use wind farms and solar farms uh, to, to to gather it and obviously to generate electricity. But the issue you've got, okay, if the wind's not blowing in one area, just adding more windmills to that same area is not going to fix the problem. right? Or if the sun's not shining in one area, adding a bunch of more solar panels is not going to fix it. So if you think about it, the wind and solar that has been sort of that that's been developed thus far, you generally okay. What's the best site to put this in? So it tends to get incrementally more expensive mm-hmm. as you add more and build it out because you're using sites that are uh, less optimal. At least one would believe that you, you you think you'd find the best ones first.
0: Yeah, and also um, I think it's interesting as you point out that even if you do come up with more efficient solar panels, even if you come up with more efficient windmills or whatever. It doesn't matter how efficient they are. The te- technological breakthroughs don't matter if the wind's not blowing.
2: Right, you still and if have the, the sun's st- not out. You still you know? need the
1: storage capacity, which is yeah. why you need all three of those points.
2: You you you, 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 really do. And obviously, you know, with solar, half the day, give or take, the sun's not shining. And then when, it, when it, when you, in, during daylight hours, you may well have clouds. Mm-hmm. Wind, again, obviously, sometimes it's windy, sometimes it's not, and you don't really know when that's going to be. So you essentially, if you want the grid to run all the time, you've got to back uh, you got to back that up
0: 100%. Yep. You know, we did an earlier IPI Policy Basics podcast on this issue that uh, because you are a defender or a proponent of fossil fuels, it doesn't mean you have to be opposed to innovation and alternative technologies and things like that. And I, just for our listeners, I want to point that out and sort of reiterate that point. Uh, but what we're talking about here is just being realistic that they are just things it's the inherent nature of fossil fuels that they meet these three points that you described that they're naturally energy dense they can be easily transported and they can be stored indefinitely and you know there's lots of room for innovation in in solar and wind and all of these technologies but you're never really going to change the fact that that alternative sources like those are not inherently energy dense they're not inherently easily
2: transported and they are not inherently easy to store for future use. No, they, they, they're not. And before we leave kind of the renewable discussion, I mean, they're, they're, there are other forms of renewables like you know geothermal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've hydro. Got, you, yeah, hi, hydro. But again, they tend to be very uh, geographically concentrated. For hydro, you need water at altitude, which works great if you've got a, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, winds blow to the west. The, the moist air goes up, condenses. You get a lot of rain. You can build a dam and, and have water at altitude and kinetic energy, and you can run that when, generally whenever you want. Mm. I mean, that's great, but again, it doesn't occur everywhere. You can't do that in Texas because we don't have water at altitude. Geothermal, I mean, it, it's a wonderful thing in Iceland. It tends to occur where you have volcanoes, where you have the earth's heat very close to the surface, and you can access it. We certainly have some, say, in Nevada, but Again, it's just not evenly distributed around the globe.
0: When you said we uh, we don't have water at altitude in Texas, we don't have much water or altitude. Period. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's <laughs> much less no. water at altitude.
2: <laughs> Renewables can be great, uh, great options. Again, depending on the, the geography, the topography, what resources the good Lord's given you, and and where they are. Hey, one other thing, uh, gentlemen, that that I think needs to be brought up is that. Uh, when you have renewables become a larger percentage of the electricity generation capacity and you don't necessarily support it uh, with uh, fossil fuels, a gas plant, a coal plant, a nuclear plant, something that is going to be reliable, you're introducing more grid instability. And I think we've seen that in, in, in a wide range of geographies in the United States, whether it's the, the freeze we had in Texas 21 or certainly in California, mm-hmm. uh, they've had issues out there. Um, so I think that's something that we just really need to think about. You can add more renewables, but Again, you've got to also build out the infrastructure of reliable uh, energy to back it up if you want to maintain the same level of grid stability. And for industrial applications, that's kind of pretty important.
0: That's a really interesting point. It's, it's almost like there's a formula there. There's like a ratio that the, you know, the, the higher your ratio of renewables, mm-hmm. the, the more unstable or potentially unstable your grid becomes. No, I think that's
2: absolutely right. And mm. and you also look at it, you'll hear a lot of the folks that are very pro-renewable and, and pro-increasing that percentage of renewable generation that, hey, it'll really decrease cost. And uh, if you look at places, uh, again, let's look at, say, California or Europe, where they've certainly added an awful lot of renewables, they tend to have pretty high power prices mm. uh, in those places. And even geographies that had fairly, that were using, again, low cost, be it coal, natural gas, nuclear, what have you when they've introduced renewables, you haven't seen a big uh, decrease in cost hmm. because you've got to, again, you've got to build the, the you know, parallel infrastructure of reliable power to back that up. So
0: even, even though the marginal cost of renewables might be going down over time, it still doesn't have that sort of net impact on the actual energy costs that consumers and businesses are having to pay. Yeah. And
2: I, I, I think this point might resonate with a lot of the audience here. Um, you, you generally Renewable power gets the same price per kilowatt hour mm-hmm. that uh, you know, and th- that power generated from a reliable source. Well, y- you run a you run a think tank, Tom. Would you pay the same for a worker that showed up seventy percent of the time as opposed to one that showed up a hundred percent of the time?
0: No, you you would have to build into your calculation some some way to compensate for the lack of dependability. I, I think you should. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the IPI policy basics podcast you can find a lot more about energy policy and economics at our website at ipi.org if you've enjoyed this podcast how about giving us a favorable review on itunes or on your favorite podcast platform you can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of ipi's giving society thank you for joining us and we will see you next time